On this episode of The Popcorn Diet, we are returning to the movie theater to go forwards and backwards in time with Christopher Nolan's Tenet. Get your popcorn ready. This is where our worlds collide. All I have for you is a word. It'll open the right doors. Some of the wrong ones, too. Tenet. You're not shooting the bullet. Use it carefully. You're catching it. There are people in the future who need us. Who need Tenet. Welcome all you good movie buddies to The Popcorn Diet, a movie podcast for those who live on a steady diet of movie theater popcorn and other movie snacks, actual movie theater popcorn this time. As always, my name is Rick Williamson, your very best good movie buddy, and joining us as usual is our other good movie buddy, the Canadian machine, Mr. David Melhorn. David, we're back, baby. How are you feeling? Feeling great. Yeah? It's great to go to the movie theaters again. Boy, was it great to go to the movie theaters. That's right. We we went to the movie theaters. Uh, we went, man, we, we had the opportunity to go see the pre, I don't know what they're calling it, early access screening of Tenet, which technically opens wide this Friday, but like you can go see it right now. Odds yeah. are, if you are in a state... That has open movie theaters. You can go see it right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not every state. But we went back. And I don't know about you, man. Well, let me ask you, because we didn't really talk about this. But did you have any, like, moral quandaries or safety quandaries about going back to the movie theaters? No, I don't think so. I think, to me, you know, first and foremost, I looked at, kind of what the movie theater's plan was for safety precautions. And, you know, you figured, obviously, masks were going to be required. They're required pretty much anywhere yeah. as far as private businesses. Um, then I also looked at, okay, how are they going to handle seating? You know, figured it was probably, went without saying that they're not going to put people, strangers next to each other. So right. <laughs> wasn't too worried about that. Um, and then I think from there, it was just more or less deciding like what time I wanted to see it. And I don't know that any time was going to be busier or less busy. I'm sure there are. Um, for me, it's obviously restricted a little bit by kids. So we sure. went to the the last showing of the night, which was 8.30 p.m. And, you know, it was, I mean, I think we had a pretty full theater for Relatively the way speaking. that they're seating, yeah. which was... You could, if you booked in pairs, you could sit next to someone. Every but then two seats. Every two seats. But if you booked a single ticket, you couldn't, no one could book next to you. Right. So you didn't have to worry if you were going by yourself that some random was going to be next to you. So right. um, with all those precautions, I wasn't really worried. I mean, we've been going to grocery stores since this has hit. Right. And, you know, I don't, I don't have any concerns about doing that obviously i don't i don't have it um right pretty pretty set on knowing that both from 
my wife being tested and, and not having it. Mm-hmm. So if she doesn't have it, then there's pretty good chance I don't have it. Right. Uh, given the close quarters. Yeah. I mean, you can never say you were never asymptom- asymptomatic. Like, sure. I can't say that, but I have been healthier than I've ever been the past sure. six months. So w- with all that being said, I felt like I was being responsible towards others in the fact that, like, I felt fine and pretty sure I don't have it. So I right. felt good to go. And then as far as, you know, the concern about others, you know, I maintained my distance even when we did the concessions and stuff like right. that. I kept my distance as I was waiting for concessions, you know, walked kind of away and found my own spot to stand. And, you know, I, I don't really remember coming within six feet of another person other than you and then obviously the person you were ordering concessions, but they're behind plexiglass. Right. So, I didn't have any moral concerns. To me, it's always been more about just being smart. And obviously, some people ruin that for others. But sure. um, I think if you're smart about it, if you're conservative about it, then then you can do it and you can do it in a, a safe way. Follow the rules, ultimately. And, that, and I think you're right. I think I was probably I've been closer to people shopping in the store. Yeah. All of us wearing masks and touching more things. Sure. Than I was at the movie theater the other night. And like you said, like you owe, we, you and I aren't, (laughs) we're, we wear our mask, you know? And that's, that's the important part is that we'll wear our mask and we'll do our part. And that's what we did last night. You know, I didn't go around touching anything. I didn't go around getting in fist fights because, oh, I don't want to wear my mask. Like we did our part. And as long as everybody else around you does does their part, I think you're okay. You know, for me, I did struggle with it a little bit, you know, I because there's a lot of people we follow on the Popcorn Diet Twitter uh, who are just like, if you go to the movie theaters, you're being irresponsible, you're an irresponsible jackass. And listen, I respect that. I respect that opinion, okay? But it's not like I'm going to a pool party with no masks. It's not like we're going to a concert where everybody is 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 mosh pitting with each other, you know. I haven't done barely anything the last six months. Like restaurants, like literally the store. That's it. And so there is a was a huge part of me that was like, this is my thing. This is the thing that I love, and if I can do it safely, I'm gonna do it. You know. Well, and my thing is, I feel like. I don't feel like there's any irresponsibleness because one thing, yeah, is it something that you have to do? No, but no. at the same time, you're showing support of a business. You're helping, you know, provide a livelihood to people that are there. Right. Um, so there's the benefits there, but also from the standpoint of it being irresponsible, if there's a time to go, I mean, heck, you're probably less likely to get sick, coronavirus or any other kind of sickness right now visiting the movie theaters than you would be (laughs) any other time. Sure. Like when I got to sit next to Joe Stranger, who's, you know, coughing and sneezing right next to me in the movie theater, like I'm more likely to get sick and then pass it on to my kids and my wife and all that in normal movie theaters. Like if movie (laughs) theaters were taking no precautions and it was just a normal free for all movie theater. Absolutely, it would be irresponsible to go, but that's not happening. So I think it's people's own fear and concern and frustrations. And obviously, we're in like month six of this. And so, 
you know, I'm not going to knock anybody for believing one way or another, no. but at the same time, like I'm going to behave in a way that, you know, I feel is safe and, and the best for me. And I'm not going to, you know, worry about necessarily what trolls on Twitter are going to say either. Sure. That's fair. And we went to, you know, and we're not like sponsored or anything, obviously, but we went to Harkins Theaters, which is a kind of a local slash regional uh, theater chain around here where we, I mean, it's, it's regional. So they got Harkins Theaters. I think there's some in Colorado. I think there's some in New Mexico. It's, it's, it's regional, but it's local. And they did all kinds of stuff. Obviously, face coverings were required by all, te- all staff members. Um, face coverings were required for uh, patrons if, unless you're sitting and eating at your, at your seat. You know, so if you're walking around, if you're in concessions lines, it's required. They had social distance markers all over where you would line up. And I like that they had personalized ones. So it was little movie theaters and it was like, or it was movie quotes, excuse me. And it's, it was like, I'll be back. And then underneath it said standing six feet away. Or, you know, you know, stuff like that where it was a play on a movie quote and then six feet away. And I liked that. That was kind of... In a weird way, like kind of cool. Um, they had the plexiglass in front of all staff member um, customer interaction areas. Mm-hmm. And that was a little difficult because you got this, what, inch thick, half inch thick plexiglass. Mm-hmm. The staff member is wearing a mask. You're wearing a mask and you're trying to communicate through three layers. That made it a little bit difficult, Sure, I'll admit. Um, they cleaned everywhere. There was sanitation everywhere. They, according to their website, they have uh, HEPA filter vacuums. They have hospital-grade air filters now. Um, the only thing, there were a couple of things that happened, just to talk about the theater experience for a little bit longer. There were a couple of things that happened that I don't know what you chalk them up to. I think you got to chalk them up to maybe a little bit of operational inexperience of, of not doing anything and then uh, having to come back and do things differently. But the two big things were, number one, they really screwed up the aspect ratio in our theater. Mm. And I'm just, I was, that's a curious mistake to make where I was watching, we watched like the first, what, 60 seconds of the movie? Maybe well, the first three minutes of the movie? Well, I think what actually happened is with the projectors that they used, they automatically adjust to the screen size, so to fit the screen size. And the trailers and everything are done in the traditional, you know, super wide screen, especially since we saw it in Cine One, which is the 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 bigger theater and the bigger screen. And with the aspect ratio that Nolan shot the movie in, it requires... It to narrow in a, a bunch. more of an uh, it's a more it's not as widescreen it's more of an IMAX screen it's a little more boxy and and because of that I think they just whatever it didn't automatically adjust because I've been in theaters too where it's shot in a different aspect sure. ratio and you see at the end of the previews it narrows in a little bit usually just a few feet right this one narrowed in quite a bit um, but I think it was probably something where it just didn't automatically do it like it was supposed to or that kind of thing. And they but, fixed it. But it, it was because it was fitting that screen. So, like, it was matching the width because right. a lot of those projectors automatically match mm-hmm. just the, the format that's on there. And right. so it was matching the width. And in order to match the width, 
you lost some of the top and the bottom. Right. And so that's why it was all off um, in that sense. But yeah, it was a little, a uh, little bit of a rough start on, <laughs> on that, but, uh, it's first, first real day back. I was like, is this how the whole movie, cause it's amazing how the visual language can be broken by something like that. Like you can't, you might not know anything about the way movies are made and you would know that something is off. And that's just the kind of the, the magic of the visual medium in movies is that even a, it, it, they are so complex to make and present that even a thing like being too zoomed in is is almost uh, what's the word I'm looking for disorienting almost. Uh, but they fixed it. That was cool. The only other thing that I found weird, and in hindsight, it's not that weird, but um, there was a couple of limited menu items, so they didn't have my beloved extra large drink anymore. They only had large. And on their website, they say that they're giving um, their souvenir cup refills, their loyalty cup refills uh, in a disposable cup. Yep. So you can come get it, but they give you a disposable cup. Yep. Well, I went out. So the movie started at 8.30. I went out about 9.45. Wanted to get more popcorn and get a refill. Two things. Number one was told, oh, we're not doing refills mm -hmm. at all. Yep. And that was – I didn't bother to look on the, you know, the order board. I didn't bother to look at the, the menu to see if it said that or not. But that was obviously like, oh, okay, I guess that makes sense. And then I asked to buy a bottle of water, and they said they were closed already, which was also really weird too. Now, my, I believe their original policy was that the concession stand stays open, I thought it was 90 minutes after the last showtime. Mm -hmm. um, and so I don't know what the math was, if that was 90 minutes, if the 8.30 was the last showtime, because there's a lot of different variables and stuff like that. But it was weird. It was weird. You know, there's no really other way to say it other than it was weird. And it all turned out fine in, in the end. You know, you, we don't, we're not getting to participate in certain luxuries anyways. But that was just a weird experience for me. Yeah, I, had, I heard, saw someone come back in line when we were ordering ours that was asking for a refill um, or when I was waiting for my food and he was asking if they did refills on the large popcorn and they said they're not, they got rid of those and it's not on their sign anymore. There, normally, I didn't see normally that. it used to always have a little asterisk that said, you know, one refill sure. on the same day of the film or sure. that kind of thing. Um, and that was gone from there. So I assume that was the case. And then with the large drinks, I think kind of the same thing. It used to have an option for one refill while you right. were there. And I guess but that's to reduce the touch point so that like a staff member doesn't, and you don't have to touch a cup. They don't have to touch a cup. Yeah. Well, times. they wouldn't refill them regardless. I think what they would have done if they were going to offer that would be just fill up, a, give you a new bag of popcorn. Sure. So you bring back your old one. Yeah. But I think the difficulty there is tracking that this is a refill. Right. I mean, and they could obviously mark the new bag the new right bag when they give it, it to you, that kind of thing. But that's what they used to obviously do is right. get a big Sharpie and write refill or just put a real, squiggly line real on Real low-tech kind of solution. <laughs> so I think that's probably part of it. I think it's also probably from a money standpoint. It's a, sure. another way to make some more money when they're already struggling. So I get it. Absolutely. And I was just, I, I think more of it is less like I'm not being nitpicky. You know, I'm not saying, like, this sucks. I'm just saying, like, this, that was our experience. Sure. Um, and it's going to take some getting used to. 
uh, especially as somebody who likes the popcorn. I'm going to have to take it a little, you know, distribute that a little evenly throughout the showtime. Yeah, take it easy. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so I, I'm going back to the movie theaters. I literally want to go see Tenet at least two more times for reasons that we will discuss mm-hmm. uh, going through into this podcast. But you're you're back in. Yeah, absolutely. Right? So we'll see. We'll I just see. need them to get back to the later showing so I can go. That's true. You did. At like <laughs> 10 o'clock. So for the first time ever, I think ever. Now, I'll admit, I knew back when we were going to see movies that you can't go see the early showings. I knew that. But it's been a while. Sure. And I was excited. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, let's go see the 5 o'clock right after work. And for the first time ever, you sent... Dude, I have kids. <laughs> I, I had so many different emotions. Like I was like, boy, I feel like a real deadbeat. <laughs> it was really funny. Um, but yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll have to see as we get. Obviously, this was limited screening. You know, I'm looking at movie show times uh, for this upcoming week, and it already looks like there are later show times and more frequent show times and stuff like that. So it'll be interesting, but I hope, I pray to God that we can all just behave as a society, get this locked down, get this taken care of, be smart, be respectful, so that I can see movies for the last quarter of this year. Because just one viewing of Tenet, and I have life in me. You know, the discourse is back. Yeah. So let's talk about it, man. Let's talk about, obviously, Christopher Nolan. You made a comment to me the other night, uh, or after, as the movie ended, you said something to the, the effect of, like, no one is on the level of Christopher Nolan. And I wanted you to expand upon that a little bit. Well, and I don't think, from that standpoint, obviously, anytime you're dealing in something that doesn't have straight scoring and, you know, there's no way to take a scoreboard and look at who scored more points or who was better at right, this than the art. other. There's no competition. It's art. It's art. It's so subjective. it's all, it's all going to be subjective. But that being said of, of the directors that we have, I just don't know that there's anybody else that I can think of that's on his level from like a thinking differently and being innovative in the way that he story tells. Yeah. Um, you think about the movies that he's done He's done it um, his whole career. Whether, you know, if you go back through, you know, you had Memento. Yep. And just the unique way of telling that story, not only... And that's the thing I feel like with him as well is like, I think he's kind of settled into kind of the quote-unquote look and feel that he likes, like mm-hmm. the aesthetic. Like, there was plenty of times as he shot this, whether it be from a lighting, whether it come be from a cinematography standpoint, that remind me of like, Dark Knight, sure. for instance. The um, first the first opening action sequence was like, oh, Bane's attacking the opera. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so there's there there's definitely some some things that he relies on or goes back to or that kind of stuff. That being said, um, you know, the way that he not only tells the story from a like linear standpoint or lack of linearity. Non-linear, yeah. Um, but the way that he like what we see on unfold on screen happens uh, is so different and such a different way of doing things. A lot of times, if we go back to Dunkirk, if we go to Inception, all those types of things. But then also the way that he visually puts it on screen a lot of times is, is very much different as well. And some of that goes into the effects and, and the way that it's presented. But I think the combination of those two things, like there's no one else that like, you could say maybe, 
uh, Guillermo, obviously in a very different way, sure. um, is so creative and unique. And you could say like, this is undoubtedly like a Guillermo del exactly, Toro. Exactly. Exactly. But right. I think those two are the only ones that come to mind that are regularly making movies that like, I think are just, doing it differently than everybody else. Yeah, it's, I it mean, feels different. You you sit in their movie and you know this is their movie. Like even even some of the greats like, you know, Spielberg these days or um Scorsese. Scorsese even. They have their or even, touches. Like they have there's things that you're going you would be able to like if you made me watch one blind and didn't tell me who directed it and didn't show me any credits like I could probably guess them within the first 3 if not on the first one. Sure. But that being said, there's probably two or three others that I could guess right. on it. Whereas, like with a Nolan movie, there's no one else that I would guess did that. In a Guillermo movie, there's probably no one else right. <laughs> I would guess did that right. movie. So um, that's what I think is is so unique about him, and I think it's a, it's exciting. Like he's one of the people that I go and and look like, what's his next project going to be? Yeah, like because it's exciting, and I like too that like while there are um, some people that, you know, obviously Michael Caine being the, the yep. best example, yep. like there's some people that are in all of his movies. Mm -hmm. Like I do enjoy how like he's worked with diff a, a number of different leads. Sure. Um, and this being really exciting to see him work with uh, John David Washington and Pattinson. Absolutely, man. And, and you're right. Like there are, and listen, that's not to discount your favorite filmmaker. All right. Whoever your favorite director is, I'm sure has unique visual style. I mean, Watching Defy Bloods, you know it's a Spike Lee movie. Like, you sure. know a Spike Lee movie. You know a Scorsese movie. But when it comes to, like you said, the look and the feel and the visual aspects of it, there is nobody working, especially in a spectacle type of level. You know, because Scorsese ain't doing the stuff that Nolan does in this movie. Like, it's not no. even close. Um there's, no, there's nothing like it, you know? I, I, I kept thinking about the ways that he made this movie and about how the way that he uses the in-camera tools, the practical effects, and the speeding up and slowing down and the reversing and stuff like that, and how Scorsese probably used more CGI in The Irishman than Nolan did here. Now, that's not to say there's no CGI in this movie. Obviously, sure. there is. Yep. But there's so much that's done in camera, and you get that with all of his older stuff. Like you'd mentioned Memento, the way that story is told parallel. The first half and the second half of the story are intersectioned parallel throughout the runtime of the movie. The way the prestige screws with the perception of truth and is all about magic tricks. And I feel like Christopher Nolan is that guy. He's like the David Blaine of filmmaking, and your mileage may vary on that. There are some yeah. people who can watch David Blaine's special and be like, I'm in, thousand percent. There are other people who are like, this freaking guy locking himself in a box of ice, like, no, who gives a shit? Like, I get it. But I'm, I'm with you. The way that he is thinking deeper, the way that he makes things, maybe to some people, overly complex, but to, to us, telling a familiar story in a completely unique type of way, and especially the way that he plays with time. I am fascinated. I hope someday he does some in-depth interview or something where he talks about, and I'm sure he's talked about it in the past, but the psychology 
of why he's so obsessed with time in his movies and why mm-hmm. he is always playing with it is super fascinating to me. Um, and obviously, it it doesn't stop. I think the this. other thing that I find as I kind of reflect on Christopher Nolan movies too is just not only like the way that he uses time, but the way the movie flows. Like he doesn't make short movies, no, but they go by quick. Like at some point, you get exhausted in them. Sure, um, and I feel like in a good way. You because, get your money's worth. That's for sure. Because like. From the word go of this movie, like, I don't remember any reprieves at all. Very few. Like, there might be, like, 10-second ones where, like, he's sitting in his room. But the whole time you're on edge because you're trying to be so observant, see what's going on, because you know so many times things that you're seeing now are going to come back later. Even even the slow moments are moments you have to – you can't take – because if you're not really trying to observe, if you're not really having to be engaged into the action and what's happening on screen, sure. you're having to listen because Christopher Nolan is great at not only visual cues and visual explanations, but also obviously the audible and the dialogue explains a right. lot of kind of the theory of his movies and and kind of the restraints that it lives within and it, also yeah, gives you clues to explain what is happening or what is going to happen, even if they don't clearly do that later in the movie. I do have some issues with his dialogue, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But yeah, man, I, I'm i with you where it's... If Christopher Nolan's working on a new thing, I'm there. Sign me up. I'll be in the theater. Um, so let's talk about Tenet. Non-spoilers, obviously. Spoiler-free. So if you want to go in cold, we're going to keep it safe for you and talk about the things that we liked and didn't like. Then we'll take a little break and go into the spoilers. Um, I did, I mean, not to get too crazy, but just to pivot off of your dialogue thing, like, boy, does Christopher Nolan like making the voices of his actors like sound muffled or weird or there's a lot of accents happening or there's a lot of I'm wearing this mask and now I'm wearing this mask or there's a lot of, I don't know. It's just, it was the same problem that he had with Bane and I couldn't help but notice a little bit of like, kind of like double middle fingers of where it's like, oh, you don't like my character talking in a mask? Guess what? Everybody in the first 10 minutes, all wearing masks. <laughs> and so, like, I didn't want to throw that out there. And I, I, I'm fine with it. Like, there are people on the film Twitter that get, like, aggressively upset when they can't understand something or when they're frustrated with something. And I'm just not like that. Like, I'll never... There's only one movie, two movies in this world where I... Three movies, technically, now that I think about it, where I was aggressively upset at them. <laughs> um, one is not like the other. But uh, and maybe we'll get to that another day. But David, non-spoiler thoughts. What did you think of Tenet as a as a his version of the spy espionage movie? Because that's basically what this is: James Bond, yeah, Jack def- Ryan. It's 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 an espionage movie. Absolutely. Um, I enjoyed it a lot. Obviously, I mean, I think that's probably come out already through this podcast. But I I enjoyed it a lot. I didn't really have any issues with it. I feel like for as confusing, and that's probably not the way, but for as intricate as the story is and yeah. how many things you have to kind of learn along the way, because like Inception, it's not like 
you know, there's some quantum physics in this, but I'm not a quantum physics major, nor nor am I. Nor do <laughs> I believe that he probably stuck to actual quantum physics. No. Uh, there might be some things that make call-outs to that sure. that are recognizable for someone theories, that is. Multiverse theories. Yeah, but um, with that being said, because of how much you have to pick up on the fly, like I was surprised that at the end I felt like I didn't have as many questions as maybe like, the first time I got out of Inception. Sure. Like having. Boy, I did. You know, Inception, <laughs> I feel like there was the whole, what was the question at the end related to the top? Oh, uh, it was whether it, or not he was in a dream or not. That's true. Was it whether he was dreaming or not at yeah. the very end? And then the, some people are like, does it matter? Other people were like, no, because the top was never his totem. It was his ring. Blah, blah, yeah. blah, blah, blah. We could do a whole thing on that. Yeah, absolutely. So like, I didn't I didn't have something that immediately jumped to me like where I felt like I was having to answer a question. Sure. Like I felt like I actually understood and had a belief, whether it's in line with what he actually did or whether there's holes in my right. belief. Absolutely could be that. Well, and beginning, middle, end, it connects. Absolutely. And I think the the great part about Nolan movies, and this is exactly the same with this one, is like they're great movies to discuss, debate. Whatever. Everybody's going to walk away. They're going to have seen or noticed something maybe different sure. that you caught that I didn't catch. Sure. Um, they're going to maybe interpret a line or something that happened slightly different. And it just leads to absolutely fantastic like dialogue and conversation. Right. And so um, I love that aspect of it. If we go down some of the other things, I thought the acting was great. I thought Pattinson was awesome. Um, I, I I love both of them. Are we on the Pattinson train? I'm on the Pattinson train. I mean, <laughs> yeah. and, and that would be, you know, obviously he probably had a shaky start for both of us debuting in uh, Twilight Listen, and being fine. known for that. But I think he's, he's legit. Dues. Like as corny and as, you know, whatever as Twilight is, like he's done some legit, like interesting work. And obviously this is, I would say outside of Twilight, obviously this would be his first like, Huge role, yeah. Um, Big second leading role, second lead in a Christopher Nolan movie, and right? obviously it comes on the heels of interestingly enough, after working with Christopher Nolan, that he's going to be Batman yeah. now as well. But it, it's exciting because I feel like he just did a really good job in in embodying this character that was a great kind of sidekick to the lead that. Mm -hmm like the real definition of a supporting character. Like he was very memorable, yep. um, very endeared yourself to him or endeared himself to you as a, as a movie watcher. So there was a lot of really fun things about his character. And I think you could go back and watch it again and pick up new things that you didn't notice about his character. But I just liked really the development of him. I thought John David Washington was awesome as a lead. I think he obviously has already shown from black Klansman that he can be that lead. He's got um, every tool that his dad has. Like absolutely, it's crazy. So I'm I'm pumped for both of them. It's always exciting to, and, and obviously both have been around for a decent amount of time. But it's always great to like have those actors that you're like, okay, I'm going to enjoy watching this person for many years to come, type of thing. Yeah. And I think with both of them, I think you can walk away saying that. And um, yeah, I, I just, all the acting was great. I thought uh, 
Elizabeth Debicki. Yep. Um, was great in her role. Kenneth Branagh's the bad guy, and he's a real piece of shit. Yeah, he was fantastic. <laughs> um, it hits. It's it's gritty. I mean, it's, it's not, it not gets rough. Not unlike you know Dark Knight and uh, Dark Knight Rises. Like sure. there's some grittiness, and it doesn't shy away from some some cringy moments for sure. Just so, like, but I enjoyed it. Like I said, I was on the edge of my seat, trying to pay attention the entire time, mm-hmm. and. I was worn out by the end of it, but I also like just really enjoyed the experience. It's a marathon, man. It really is. It really is. I really like this movie a lot too, obviously. Um, I think I have a few more criticism of it than you do, but that doesn't, it still doesn't take away my enjoyment of the movie, weirdly enough. You know, it does, it's, it's doesn't cause me to give it many negative marks. But like, I, again, I love that this is a big uh, globe trotting. Uh, espionage movie. I'm I'm with you on Pattinson. I love that he he did his Twilight. He got in with the generation, and then he spent like literally I don't know when did those movies come out in the mid two thousands, right? He spent ten years doing weird indie shit, and now he's like I'm back. Now all the people that fell in love with him in Twilight, they're adults, <laughs> and <laughs> and they can come back to it. And I feel like. I feel like Batman, and, and again, who, who knows? Because we just had Affleck do it. But it almost feels like Batman is this rite of passage, like this 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 portal into another phase of your career. Because when Christian Bale got Batman, Christian Bale's good. He was in a bunch of stuff, but it didn't turn him. It turned him into Christian Bale. It helped him. It got him that to that next step. Affleck obviously was coming coming from a really negative time. And, I mean, I would argue his Batman was one of the best parts of the movies that he was in, you know? And it, the, that's not nothing to say about the quality of those particular movies. Um, and now we got Pattinson, who's going to be Batman. And I'm excited. I'm on, the, I'm on the Pattinson train, the Pattinson train, if you will. John David Washington is a super-duper star. Like, that guy can, can and should be able to do whatever he wants. Um... Elizabeth Debicki is great. Uh, I think her character kind of falls into some of the tropes of your typical female espionage character, but I do think that by the end of the movie, we're 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 redeeming some of those. So I like that mm-hmm. as well. Um, and then yeah, Kenneth Branagh is just real, real, real bad, bad, bad dude. Um, I loved. We talked about the practical aspect of it a little bit, but there are just some of these things I love that they do. Whether it be a car chase, whether it be a heist, whether it be all these different things in the movie, I can't think of one that wasn't the majority of it practical. And that's impressive. You can't say that about a lot of movies, um, especially the big spectacle movies. My biggest issue with the movie, and this is an overall issue with Nolan sometimes in general, is that obviously this movie takes a lot of brain power. It's it's a heavy movie to think about. It's a it's there's a lot of logic. There's a lot of the the time travel, the 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 forwards and backwards, all that type of stuff. So there's you gotta pay attention. And I love the way there's a point in the middle of the movie where I just went, oh. And it was really, really cool. But you and I are still having conversations about how the timeline works in this movie. And it, it leads me, it, it, I basically, I've thought of two movies when I finished this. I thought of 
the when I saw the first Mission Impossible because I remember when that came out came out in the late nineties, and I was confused as hell. I was just like, I don't know what's happening. And for a lot of people, that movie was really dense and really confusing. And now it's like, oh, it's it's easy. It all makes sense. And I feel like that's what it's going to be like with this movie. Because I still need to see this movie two or three times to fully wrap my head around the diagram of how the time travel works in this movie. I also thought about a lot of other Nolan movies. I thought about Memento and the way that movie plays with time and storytelling. But I also thought about the prestige in the way that that movie deals with, you know, certain people going into boxes and coming out of boxes, <laughs> which is really interesting. Um, and, and with all of that happening, all of that mental brain power going into like, okay, he's traveled back in time. What does this mean? It does, to me, it sometimes negates or it takes away from some of the emotional beats of this movie or beats that could and should land more emotionally. There are two or three moments near the end of the movie that obviously we won't talk about that are big emotional revelations for the main characters of this story. And while I sat there and was like, oh, that's really good, it didn't hit me. It didn't hit the emotions. It hit my brain. It hit my, 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 I like this. I appreciate that. I like how that's connected. But it didn't put anything in me. It didn't make me dust up. It didn't make me get a little teary-eyed or whatever. And it could have. Maybe. I don't know. But that was one thing where I was like, I felt a little unsatisfied. Um, but only in a very, very, very small way because I respect the skill of it so and we can get we're gonna have to get more into spoilers but suffice it to say we both enjoyed it if you like big spectacle movies if you feel comfortable going to a movie theater and if you can focus for two and a half hours i think you should go see this I, movie i laughed because there was someone sitting a row in front of us that it was a guy and a girl i don't know if they were boyfriend girlfriend but she was on her phone for like the first like five, ten minutes of the yeah. movie. And I just wanted to be like, she's going to hate this movie because she's going to be distracted. She's not going to be paying attention. And she's going to be like, what happened? What What's happened? Happening? This is stupid. Like, I don't I, get this. This doesn't make sense. And that's the funniest thing <laughs> to me is like, if you're going to be one of the first people to go to a movie theater after a five, six month pandemic, that's still not over. How are you one of those people who just looks at your phone? Well, I don't want to make any assumptions off of their relationship, but it, it could be one of those like boyfriend wanted to go yeah. or husband wanted to go and being a good trooper and going along for the ride. There was another guy. Know. Did you hear the other guy walking down the steps at the end who was like, you need a 500 IQ for the Like I heard one guy who was like, who was clearly very upset that this movie was smarter than he was. Um, and I respect it. I get it. All right. When you're watching Avengers, you're not really challenged per se. Despite the fact that Endgame did inspire a ton of conversations about time travel, weirdly enough, um, yeah, you know, you're not really challenged in the same way that this is challenging you. So, we're gonna we gotta talk spoilers, but before we do, let's give the popcorn rating. What's that noise? Popcorn. You making popcorn? Uh huh. I only eat popcorn at the movies. 
Now, if you've never listened to an episode before, welcome. Welcome back. We're happy to have you. We do our ratings a little bit differently. Instead of stars or thumbs up, we have different levels of popcorn that we assign to a movie. Burnt popcorn means a movie is trash. Don't waste your time. Forget it. Stale popcorn means if you're in a pinch and you have to watch it and hopefully not pay for it, fine. Uh, microwave popcorn is middle of the road. It's fine. It can be really good for some people and not so good for others. It's okay. Movie theater popcorn means you should go see this in a movie theater um, under regular circumstances. And then perfect popcorn means go out and see this as soon as possible. So David... We also, if we're ever in the middle of those, we give a soda as kind of like our half star. Mm-hmm. But David, for you, I think I already know, but what's the popcorn rating here? Oh, it's perfect popcorn. Yeah. And it, and it could be influenced by my already love of Christopher Nolan. Sure. It could be influenced by finally being back in the movie theaters. But I just really don't have any complaints about the experience as a whole. Um, love the acting, love the story. Could I nitpick little things? Absolutely. But overall, like what I expect from a Christopher Nolan movie, what I get excited about going to the movies for, like it delivered on all those things. So if, if you enjoy Christopher Nolan, I would say if I had to compare it to any of his movies, like if you're thinking through all the Christopher Nolan movies and some were hits for you and some were misses, like if, Inception was a hit for you, then I think you'll enjoy yes. this movie. But if you watched If out you of hated Inception, <laughs> this it's is... probably a long shot that you'll like this one. Because I think this amps it up a little bit more yes. than Inception because it is using like quantum physics. This is Nolan at its it. most Nolianist. Like whereas like the other is like dreams within dreams, and it doesn't really try to complicate it much more beyond that, and just like the implication. God, Inception's such a good movie. <laughs> but if so, again, I come back to if you liked Inception, I think you'll really like this. If you hated Inception, it's probably a long shot that you'll like this. But for me, it was perfect popcorn. Yeah, I'm gonna give this movie theater popcorn and a soda, not perfect popcorn. And it's for some of those tiny things. It's not a big doc. All right, but it's for some of those tiny things. Because he didn't get an extra large drink. Because I didn't. Yeah, that specifically. <laughs> I'm, I'm holding that against the movie. Um, no, it's just like it, kind of going off of what you said. Like Christopher Nolan has a completely blank checkbook, and sometimes that's really good, and sometimes that's really bad. And for Christopher Nolan, most of the time it's really, really good. Like it's. <sighs> We get so many people who complain and whine about the lack of original film. And then Christopher Nolan gets however much money he got, $200 million plus, to make this whack-ass, time-skipping spy movie based off of nothing. Based off of a freaking, honestly, based off of a a freaking Greek like like piece of, of archaeology which is nuts. And I am for that. I support that. Sure, it's complex. It melts the brain a little bit. I'm going to need to see it a few more times. But we need more of this, not less of this. You know, could Should he maybe dial it back for his next movie? Maybe only give him $100 million to make something smaller? Sure, I'll still watch it. 
But I, I really liked a lot about this movie, and I, I reserve the right to give it perfect popcorn when everything finally clicks in my brain. So with that being said, we're going to talk spoilers because we got to for a little bit. But before we do, we're going to take a quick break. What's up, good movie buddies? Before we continue, I want to remind everyone that you can get free episodes of The Popcorn Diet delivered to you just by hitting the subscribe button or following us wherever you're listening from. So take a second, hit the button, give us a rating, write us a review, share us with the other good movie buddies out there. We also want to remind you to check us out on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash the popcorn diet and consider Becoming a patron of this little independent movie podcast filled with love. Not only is it going to help us improve the podcast, keep the podcast going, but it's also going to give you exclusive patron-only access to things like early episodes, franchise refills episodes, and more. So check that out by going to patreon.com slash thepopcorndiet. Of course, we don't want you to forget that you can also follow us on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, at The Popcorn Diet. And last but certainly not least, you can find all of our latest regular episodes, articles, and more on our website, popcorndietpodcast.com. Let's get back to it. And we're back. Spoilers, David. Now, I don't want to turn this into a two-hour podcast. So we can cut, try and keep it short and sweet, and we're going to try not to have some of these conversations that we were having before about exactly how this movie works. <laughs> Um, suffice it to say, I would, I would think that you, you think the trick works, that, that everything that he attempts in this movie, he's able to adequately show, adequately execute, and for the most part, makes sense. Yeah, well, and I think you, you brought up the comparison of the prestige, and I think one of the things that, you know, I think makes Christopher Nolan and The Magician concept like so compelling is that like with a magician there's the idea of the trick and the trick has to be something that like gives you enough that you think you can figure it like I feel like the best tricks are ones that like seem conceivable that like you can figure out how it was done and it leads you wanting to figure how do you do it how do you accomplish it right they all have rules like they have ease like rules that you understand whether they be the rules of physics as they exist or whatever yeah. And so I think the thing that I love about his movies is that there's certain things that aren't clear and maybe you don't get fully the answer in the movie and it leaves it up to interpretation, like the ending of Inception. Is he still in a dream? Is he not? Things right. like that. There's think, nothing I like th- that here. But I do think there's things like um, there's the question of time and consciousness and what you realize and what you don't like there's the whole thing of time loop like it says within the movie that the past can't communicate the past can communicate to the future right but the future can't communicate to the past because for whatever reason obviously (laughs) um exactly that's but but that's but that's what i mean is like there's certain things that it brings up and it makes obviously sense in the way that he's telling the story. And that's, and that's why it works for me because everything jives with the rules that he's giving us throughout the story jive with what I'm seeing on the screen. So if you're going to make a sci-fi, everything that you tell me, because to me, when you go see a sci-fi, you should stop thinking in the realm of like reality, like sure. Don't think about gravity the same way. Don't think about time the same way. Don't think of technology the same way. Like, 
if this is a science fiction, it's fiction. And science is fiction. The science in this is fiction as well. So, like, it can do whatever it wants. Sure. So, the only thing that I ask of a science fiction is that it adhere to its own rules. Exactly. So, everything that you've explained to me is reflected in what actually happens. And I feel like that happens in this film. I would agree. And sure, there's aspects of it, like, for instance, like at the end when she dives off the boat after right. killing. Uh, Sator. 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 I don't know how you say it. We already had a conversation earlier in the movie with her character. her character, and she talks about seeing another woman dive off the boat and being envious of that woman right? and her freedom and that kind of thing. And if you think about it, you could take that as she obviously didn't know that it was her. Right. But you could also take that the other way of like, she is aware that that was her mm-hmm. post killing him mm-hmm. and having that weight lifted of him no longer controlling her. And so that's what I love about so many of Christopher, of this one and Inception in particular, both of these films is like, there's things where like you could explain it either way right. and it would work. And I don't, and I think too many people want to have the answer and know, and you're not going to know that unless you talk to Christopher Nolan. Sure. But I love that it works either way, and we can come to a realistic conclusion mm-hmm. on some of these questions. And neither of us could be right. Both of us could be right. Right. Who knows what's right or wrong? Like as long as like it jives like with your own brain, like I think that works. Yeah, I guess. I mean, there's a certain level of that where I'm like, okay. I'm with you. Let's take, for example, you use the word science, right? Sure. And science fiction. So we can use our own fictional version of science, right? So I'm going to replace the word science with math. Sure. Okay? Math in this world makes sense. Mm-hmm. Two plus two equals four. Sure. Four times two equals eight, whatever. Okay? So if we're going to do fictional math, it has to compute. You have to tell us what the equivalent of the two is, what the equivalent of the four is, and what it equals. And then that rule has to be consistent. So if three times one equals 11, fine. You just got to play by those rules the entire mm-hmm. time. And I think this movie does do that. I think it does show us what A is. It shows us what Z is. It shows us the parts of the equation and it shows us the solution. And I think it's pretty clear and like, okay, cool. But kind of like Goodwill Hunting, there are middle pieces of that equation that I'm not 100% on. You know what I mean? And I couldn't tell you the exact math of how 2 now equals 75. So like give an example. So like, okay, the biggest one for me is again, and I know we talked about this, and I don't want to get this turned into a David tries to explain to stupid Rick what the movie means. No, no, we're good. Um, but so there's a, a there's a several moments in this movie. At the beginning of the movie, John David Washington's character, who only goes by protagonist, which if I'm being a little honest, that's a little up up my own ass by Christopher Nolan to name his character the literary term for a hero, protagonist. Um, but there's a part where he is saved from being killed by somebody who pulls an inverted bullet through the guy he's about to get killed. That, that person who saves him has a little red tag on his backpack. 
And we see that a couple of other times. We see that near the end of the movie where there is a corpse who's wearing the same backpack with the mm -hmm. same little red tag that is inverted. So it goes from being dead to waking back up and opening up everything for them and basically saving them. And then at the very end, you see that it's Pattinson. It's mm -hmm. his sidekick, this whole movie, who has the backpack with the little red tag. Okay? And so all I'm saying is I know those three moments in Pattinson's lifestyle. I'm just trying to figure out the order and the, the line in which he takes. Sure. How many times forwards and backwards he goes to get there. That's one thing that I'm just I'm not 100% on. I accept that it happens. I accept that Pattinson's character dies at the end of that battle, sure. right? And I accept that John David Washington eventually goes and recruits his character so that they do have this long, continuing on relationship. I accept all of those things. I just don't know the math. Yeah, I just well, can't show you how I got there. Can't show my work yet. Well, and at the end of the day... This movie is a giant paradox from that standpoint. It's what they say in the and movie. And they say it in the movie. They yeah. literally say, don't worry about it. Like, don't think about it too much. And to some people, that might piss them off. Because it's because they also talk about stop thinking linear. And I think it's hard for us, obviously, to not think linear. Yes, it's difficult for me. <laughs> so I think with, like, because we naturally are thinking of a beginning or an end, or we can sometimes think backwards to and think an end sure. to the beginning. I think those are pretty easy stories for us to follow. Or even those movies where we start in the middle, mm -hmm. but then we go back, mm -hmm. lead up to that middle, and then go forward. Right. I think all of those are pretty easy for us to track pretty quickly. I think with this movie, it plays with it so much in the sense that, like, Okay, so we have the Pattinson character. We initially meet him in, when he's recruited to help uh, protagonist. I hate that we have to call that. I, I do. I do have issue that we don't know his actual name because obviously his name's not protagonist. But also, like, but it's that's all of, he gets referred to. It's in also. There. It's also kind of like a. a kind of a middle finger to James Bond. Sure. Who's like, my name's James Bond. I'm a secret super spy. Everybody knows I'm James Bond. Sure. He doesn't tell anybody his name in this entire movie. I respect that. Sure. But regardless, um, so like if you're watching it like a normal movie, we see him recruit Pattinson. Right. We go through, you know, all the different missions that we have. And then we have the departure moment where he is going back into this loop that we just survived through. Yep. For the purpose of stopping them from setting off the bomb, for inter interjecting himself or, or jumping in the middle right. of this conflict in a way that protagonists and who's the soldier that's with him? I always think, forget his name. Hives. Uh, that's uh, Aaron Taylor Johnson. That's, yeah. That's Quicksilver from Age of Exactly. Ultron. Exactly. He. Those two would have failed if not for him interceding and, sure. and getting in. They would have blown up the bomb and we would have had to either do another loop or that's the thing is we don't know right. where failure would have been final at all in this. So then you have the conversation where he says, like, you'll recruit me later on in life. Like, right. we'll... We'll have more to our story type of thing. Yeah. And so, Which I, I was like, oh, this is cool. I think 
the way that it it melds time and again i have to see it again but yeah. like the way that i interpret it is that like we saw the end but the ending is in the middle exactly if, so like and pattinson has actually been playing the end of his like we saw the end of pattinson's story yeah like we think of going a to z whereas what we really it's, saw was q through z and then starting and then that. A to Q. Yeah. So like it's just it's obviously not, it's not the way that you think about it. And there's little things in there that make you because I think when you watch this, the natural thing is to try and adapt it to how right. like actual time works or how linear storytelling works. And that's just not how this film functions. And so I think it's difficult from that standpoint to step back and and not try and think of it in that way. Like, I need to know how he meets and how he dies. Like, right. I need to see all of that, and we're not given that. I need to see how he got to there, and we don't. And it's, so... And, and that's... And I'm okay with that, you know? And there's a lot of, like... And I don't know what you want to call it, you know? I don't know if you want to call it... Um, if you want to call it, like, uh, cutting... Uh, cutting uh, corners. I don't know if you want to call it not showing the work, but there are a couple of things in this movie where Nolan is essentially like, well, what about this? What about that? And then says, well, it doesn't matter. Like they bring up the grandpa theory or grandfather theory, which is if I go back in time and kill my grandfather, am I ever born? Sure. And they just say, it doesn't matter. Why? Because it's a paradox. It can't, it can't exist. It can't happen. And then they bring up the alternate... You know, uh, multiverse theory as a counter argument to that, which is the second you kill your grandfather, you still exist, but you've created a new timeline, a new multiverse, you know, stuff like that. And they never confirm one way or the other. And that's fine. It, I don't care about that. Well, you know? and there's also things that they introduce, like if you come in physical contact, like you touch skin right. with Ooh. yourself in the past or in the future, like if those two touch, like you're annihilated. You're annihilated, right. which. Which is we never see. Like you never see someone get annihilated, know, so you're supposed that. to just take it at its word. That's like literally how it from works. that's literally from the end of Time Cop with Jean Claude Van Damme, where two the same two things cannot occupy the same physical space. Essentially, yeah. the same yeah. thing can't occupy. So literally, the end of Time Cop. I don't know how if you've ever seen Time Cop. It's been they a take while. the old version of the crooked politician and. T- push him into the young version of the politician and they turn into this gooey mess and disappear. It's fucking time cop. Okay. Which is crazy to me. But then there's other things like the algorithm, right? And this is where, again, I feel like it gets a little up its own ass because the algorithm, we are used to an algorithm being a code, being a a mathematical code, a, a, some type of development based, um, a dev code, right? Yep. And in this movie, the algorithm is literally a series of doohickeys that when all connected together and blown up can destroy the world. Sure. Okay, that took me a little bit because if you're going to call... It's like calling something a cheeseburger and then showing me something that is not a cheeseburger, it's going to take me a second, you know? So sure. ultimately, it's like... It's a it's a ex machina. It's a rabbit's foot from Mission Impossible Three. Sure, like it's well, just the thing that can end the world. Yeah, they're they're artifacts that when brought all together, you know, and they refer to them as algorithm. And I think that's another thing that can be distracting is everybody has, to your point, preconceived 
notions of what an algorithm is. Right. People have preconceived notions of, you know, lots of different things. And so that comes true in this over and over again in that, like, if if you keep thinking it in the literal sense or in your traditional sense of what they're saying, right. it's going to create issues in your brain from that right. standpoint. So, um, yeah, I mean, I get it. I think even for myself, like I'll go back and maybe I'll change my view on some of these things that I assume to be true. Maybe. Yeah. And <laughs> maybe I'll be less okay with <laughs> the the storytelling or the explanations the second time I watch I it. But I can't see that happening. Like I can't see myself like with Mission Impossible happen. I know I liked Mission Impossible. I didn't I couldn't tell you like, oh, why was John Voigt bad? Was John Voigt good? Ba 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 ba. And knowing that now doesn't ruin that movie for me. It makes it better. It's more satisfying. And I think the same thing's gonna happen here as well. No, and, and not l- enjoy it less from a standpoint of like Oh, I already know what happened, so right. I don't want to watch it again. More so from like maybe as I watch and observe and things I think I saw right. or made sense before, right. maybe don't make sense now right. watching it and you know already knowing what's going on in the story. Like, so being able to be more like observant of certain things, I don't know whether that'll be the case. It could go either way. It's but, like the first time, like take it this way. You're a track and field coach, you're a basketball coach. Yeah. Like imagine witnessing basketball for the first time ever and you have no idea what it is sure the first time you play it it's going to be like whoa what the hell Mm -hmm. the second time you're going to get it the third time you're going to you know what i mean like with repetition will come understanding so that's what i'm excited about with this movie yeah let's wrap it up i wanted to talk about some of our favorite parts for me obviously there's some shit in this movie that is wild like again the opening opera scene with all those extras and a shootout happening amongst them is incredible. The plane crashing through the building, incredible. All practical. Mm-hmm. The the building jump, practical. The finale, which is basically a giant war operation, practical. Sure. When they blew the, the 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 when they blew the they I don't even know how to describe it. When the building unblew up and then blew up again. And then blew up again and forwards. Blew up three times. I was just like, oh my God. Like, I get it. But at the same time, it's melting my brain. For me, though, my favorite part of the movie, and obviously I'll let you, I'll give you a chance to answer as well, is that moment when they capture him and drag him into the room and Sator is speaking backwards and it's getting translated. Mm -hmm. And they're answering and then they f- go through the I don't know what's, what what do they call it? They call it a turnstile. They go yeah. through the turnstile, mm-hmm. and then every, then now they're moving backwards. Mm-hmm. And like that was a big holy shit eye opening moment for me because it connected the two points. And you had never seen that in the movie yet. You'd only seen him fighting with or interacting with inverted objects. You never saw a point where a group of people or a person or an object can become inverted. Mm-hmm. And that was a big part in like revealing the um, part of the magic trick. Sure. You know? And then seeing that they have all these turnstiles, like, it was kind of cool. I'm like, okay, this is rad. Yeah. Um, that was by far my favorite part of the movie. And seeing like the inner workings and how all of that kind of came together, I was just like, oh my God, this is crazy. What about you? What was some of your what was some of your favorite points to to, to put you know a, that's that's definitely up 
up there for me. I think that's where like a lot of it started to make sense from a practical standpoint. Right. Um, what I'm, you know, as I think back through this movie, what I'm excited to go back and take part for a second or third time is things like, does he show us when Sador's uh, inverted versus, like, is there evidence? Like, were there times in the movie when he was actually inverted that we were assuming he was being normal? Maybe. You know? Because there's little things that obviously they do that are slightly different when you're inverted. Like I love that, how the phys- – you can't – you're not – like John David Washington, when he's inverted, he's running weird. He's driving weird. Your physics are thrown off. Yeah, your physics are thrown off. Obviously, they made it seem like the more you interact being inverted, the more comfortable you get with sure. it. Um, hence why they say like you want to wait a little bit and orientate yourself with mm-hmm. it. But I'm interested to see whether there was – portions that we didn't realize maybe or maybe I didn't realize that he was inverted because um, you know there's when they go into that whole heist aspect of it there's like four heists in this movie when they go into (laughs) the big heist with the trucks and all of that Uh you know he talks about you know tell me everything specifically that happens obviously because he's going to go in then and intercede right and so my assumption is, and you even see like little hints. I don't know if you saw it, like when they walked by that car that ends up being in the chase, Right. the guy's sitting there with the mask on. Uh-huh. So obviously he's already inverted. Like that guy's running or like you see a bullet hole in a wind in a, in a mirror that's unexplained and you're like, Oh shit. Yeah. And even in the opening scene, you had the bullet in the, the wood. The wood that comes backwards in it before, obviously, that's all explained. Now, obviously, we saw the trailers, and so, like, it made sense already from that standpoint. But I'm interested to see how many... Uh, because Christopher Nolan, generally, there's the overt ones that he does that are, like, right in your face and, like, sure. you're meant to notice. But I feel like he also is usually pretty good at, there's like, putting background. some Easter eggs in the background that yeah. maybe you didn't notice yeah. that maybe give you more explanation to what's going on or or things that you didn't maybe catch the first time. So I'm excited to watch for that. And I think that comes back to, you know, there's not really a scene that sticks out. You mentioned one of the best. I think all of them are great. I think the end scene is fantastic. But I mean, to me, like if I had to pick a favorite part, like at this moment, like my favorite part outside of like just the overall experience is just it's Pattinson. Like I loved Pattinson in that movie. He's cool. He's 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 the guy. Like he's he's got a look to him too, where he's wearing like a suit and tie, but a tactical vest over it. And I'm like, I like this well, look. Well, and I think the thing is, is John David Washington's character, the protagonist, is very like cold. Like even when he's doing, he's got a little swagger, but for the most part, yeah. Like he's like, I'll kill some like. When he asks somebody asks him like, "Would you hold a woman hostage?" and he's like, sure. "Like, there's there's definitely emotion and variety to his character, but like, it feels very along the same lines of everything else. Even the even the villain, like, uh, even Sator, like, I feel like Pattinson's like the life in this movie. Like, he brings some much needed comedy to it. Yep, not that." protagonist doesn't have his his moments in he there but like every time Pattinson's in there it feels 
those are the times where I feel like I can come up for air for right. the most part, other than obviously the fight scenes that he's involved. Like, well, also I feel like I can relax and just listen to dialogue for a little bit when he's on there. He's explaining some stuff too. He's got, he's explaining it with a personality. Like he's got, he's got the swagger. It doesn't feel as scientific when he's on the screen, right. even though a lot of times he's talking about the science of it. Right. Like it, it's, it seems like your really smart friend explaining it to you in layman's terms. And that's because he's the seasoned veteran. Yeah. Like, he's the one who's like, chill. Like, don't worry about it. Like, he's the one who you find out at the end isn't just some rando that got sent. It's a guy who's been doing this with John David Washington a long time. I want to say one other thing before we wrap up, and that's that I love the way that this movie escalates the inverted, the nature of something being inverted. And the idea is that it's something inverted is running backwards, Basically, um, and it starts with a, uh, a bullet and then it goes to like a piece of technology, like a gear. And then it's a guy like I got to fight this whole inverted guy. And then it's a car chase where this, a couple of the cars are inverted. And then by the end of the movie, you have what they call uh, a temporal pincher pincer movement which is something that Sator is doing, which is having half of his guys run backwards, half of his guys run forwards, and then essentially meeting them in the middle to, to gain intel. And that's what that whole last battle is, is it's two separate teams running at 10 minutes, one inverted, one forward, and it's just like, boy, they really do escalate it in that movie, but in a really like like satisfying, tangible way. Um, anything else? No. I, it's I cannot I you really can't wait. I'm to see sure it we again. lost half the people. Yep, people are like in. I don't know what you're my doing. head you hurts. I haven't even seen it. and My head hurts. You guys, are, <laughs> if you haven't seen it, you've lasted this long. You, I call like an ambulance because <laughs> there's no way your brain is not melting right now. <laughs> um, that is gonna do it. Yeah, so before we wrap up, obviously, again, I want to remind you all that you can get free episodes of The Popcorn Diet sent to you just by hitting subscribe or hitting that follow button. So take a second, hit the button, give us a rating, write us a review, and share us with your other good movie buddies. Also, don't forget to check us out on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash Diet and consider becoming a patron of the podcast. Obviously, it's going to help us improve the podcast, but you're going to get access to exclusive patron-only episodes like our franchise refills and more. Of course, we don't want you to forget that you can also follow us on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, at The Popcorn Diet. And last but certainly not least, you can find all of our latest regular episodes, our, our backlog of episodes. You can find articles, reviews, and more on our website, popcorndietpodcast.com. But... For the Canadian machine, Mr. David Melhorn, I am your very best good movie buddy, Rick Williamson, and we will see you next time with another good movie, hopefully in the theaters, on the Popcorn Diet. Adios.